0: When it was time for Jesus to begin his ministry, he did so by making a really incredible statement. Repent, he said, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now that verse comes with a lot of baggage for some people. For years, I read it to mean either repent or go to hell. Either actually stop sinning or you never actually repented in the first place. And so you either believe fully or you don't believe at all. There's no room for doubt. So either come clean and admit that you don't actually believe or you better stuff those questions and doubts down and pretend they don't exist. On and on we could go. Either do this or that will happen. Either or, this or that, left or right, right or wrong, good or bad. That's how our minds tend to think. But Jesus constantly invites us into something bigger. The stories he told and the things he did didn't fit into our nice, neat, either or categories. His words work more as both ands. I want both the younger son and the older son at the party. I choose both the zealot and the tax collector to be on my team. I'm going to both heal this man and honor the Sabbath. So maybe repent for the kingdom of heaven is here is less of an either or and more of an invitation. As if Jesus is saying something new is here and you're invited to be a part of it, of course you can choose to say no but that doesn't change the reality that the kingdom is here waiting for anyone who wants to participate where the life is found both now and for all of eternity where we both receive grace and give it to others both are loved and seek to love others well the story Jesus came to live is both an ever-expanding story and an invitation to find life. So we love either ors, but there's more, and Jesus came to show us today's story is a perfect example.
1: Welcome to Stories in Scripture, a podcast dedicated to telling the big story of the Bible, one piece at a time. My name is Keith.
0: And I'm Ryan. This is sign two out of seven as we continue to journey through John's Gospel.
1: sat in the cool of the evening he held a cup in his hand he drank the last few sips of the wine and set the cup on his table he heard the greetings of the guards as the fourth watch ended the familiar complaints of fatigue and relief the first strand of light weaving its way through the loom of the horizon john was sitting on the roof of his house in ephesus from there he could see the movements of the early risers those who started the city each morning Shouts and whispers, suddenly a loud commotion breaks out just beyond the next street. John listens casually, wondering what the violence might be about. He lowers his head, thinking back to those days where he would have rushed to the scene. He flexes his hands. They would be useless in any confrontation now. John sighs and chuckles to himself. Oh, Ephesus, he says, shaking his head. He looks to the sky, eyes still closed. He can see the city in his mind it always reminded him of a pagan Jerusalem, a city where the world gathers. They even had a temple at the center, the temple of Artemis, daughter of Zeus. Far from the temple in Jerusalem, in distance and in purpose. he can still hear Paul as he loudly proclaimed the good news to the Ephesians in that temple. Oh, Paul, he said softly, with a smile and sorrow. What has become of the first disciples, he thinks to himself, I'm the last. The rest have gone the way of our Lord, killed for spreading life. And that, in John's old age, is what he wishes to pass on to the next generation, life. Gone were the days of troublemaking in pagan temples throughout Asia, John simply wanted to spread the message of his rabbi, his lord, his friend, life, and that abundantly. He saw much of himself in the young scribe that was taking down his story. The zeal, the desire, the naked ambition. So John wanted to tell the story in a way that would help him understand what it means to truly be human, to fully be alive. John hears the scribe walking up to the house. He makes his way down to the room where they work. As he enters, the scribe is already laying out the parchment. John can see the anticipation in the young man's face, the eager look of someone ready to prove himself. He sits and looks up at the Apostle. John just looks out at the window. After three long minutes, the scribe begins to feel impatient. They only got through one story yesterday, and he couldn't imagine that was all. They had too much work to do to sit around. He cleared his throat to say something to the Apostle. And then, there was the time we went back to Cana. The sun was at its peak. It was about the seventh hour and they were making their way back towards Galilee. Jesus rarely told them anything other than where they were going. His plan came from a place of mystery. None of the men could ever figure out what he was trying to accomplish. Everyone now welcomed them when they entered the towns in the remote provinces of Israel. The word was obviously spreading. Something was different about this Jesus of Nazareth and the group of men who followed him. Crowds started to gather wherever they went. The clearing of the temple had caught people's attention. The incident at the well in Samaria had made its way to Judea. People were talking. John saw the familiar sight of Cana. Some time had passed since the wedding, but the town stirred when they entered. Men would clear the way for the group. Children ran to tell their friends Jesus was back. John could hardly believe this was all because Jesus helped one man out of a minor setback. Such a small kindness couldn't possibly change that much. Could it? John looked around. They were only a short distance from where Jesus turned the water into wine. John shook his head, trying to clear the confusion. He and the others had been through more than they could have imagined already, yet returning to the city of rabbis' first miracle felt special, like they were here to do even more. Like the second signpost on the road was approaching. A Roman official came running up the street toward the group. He knelt in front of Jesus. The others were shocked into stillness. John... Having lived a life under the Romans, it instinctually stepped between rabbi and the official. Jesus gently placed his hand on John's chest without looking at him. He didn't seem worried. He seemed joyful. He looked at the Roman as if no one else was in Cana. The official looks up, tears near the surface of his eyes. Please, sir, it is my son.
0: Although the text doesn't tell us, this official was likely a Roman citizen serving Herod Antipas, Which is interesting because that means he wasn't a Jew. Now, today, 2,000 years removed from this moment, that doesn't seem like a big deal to us. But to John and James and Peter and these guys who grew up steeped in Judaism, the story they've always heard is that Israel is God's chosen people. Either you were a part of the team or you weren't. They grew up reading songs written by King David, the man after God's own heart, where in one breath he praises God, and in the next asks him to wipe his enemies off the face of the earth, which sounds almost schizophrenic to us, but makes complete sense in the proper context. Either you were in or you were out. So either you were a Jew or you were a Gentile, an outsider, like this desperate father running up to Jesus.
1: John shoots a look at Peter. Peter meets his gaze. John's eyebrows furrow in confusion and frustration. Who does this guy think he is? John mouths to Peter. Peter shakes his head in agreement. He must know we are on our way to the synagogue for important business. Peter mouths back. They both look at Rabbi. To John's surprise, Rabbi is neither annoyed nor frustrated with the Roman. John looks quizzically back at Peter, who simply shrugs. Jesus looks at the official with the compassion of a father and a son all at once. John can see tears begin to form in the eyes of his teacher. John's cheeks redden with the shame as he looks back at the official, a man of power and influence breaking down. John hadn't noticed the man's humanity before now. He hadn't noticed any Roman's humanity before now. Jesus reaches a hand to the man's shoulder. He sighs and looks around. Unless you people see signs and wonders... He says heavily, you will never believe. For a moment, John isn't sure if Rabbi is speaking to the Roman or to his followers. The kneeling official shifts uncomfortably. He wasn't asking for his three wishes from a genie. He knew this rabbi was not a magician, but he had no choice. His son would die without some miracle. The father stays kneeling. The disciples begin to snicker behind Jesus, but John still isn't sure this lesson is only for the Roman. Can feel a sliver of light begin to crest in his soul that rabbi is offering something but what ignoring the other men the official desperate for life looks at jesus jesus looks back with the deep sympathy and compassion of someone who understands what it is he is asking
0: there are certain things in life that call us to break all the social rules This is one of those moments. Any good parent knows that if your child is sick, you do whatever you need to do to fix it. When your child is on their deathbed, you're ready to try anything, even tracking down some radical Jewish rabbi because you heard he turned water into wine at some wedding. Desperation caused this man to hop right over the social line drawn in the sand and Jesus, sees it as a great opportunity to help John and the rest of the guys start to see the bigger picture.
1: The man is no longer a Roman official, but a father. His heart and face sink. The silence of Jesus brings him to his end. He won't take a no for an answer, but he has no other course of action. All his power fails him. "'Sir,' he says, voice quivering, "'come down uh, before my child dies.' A tear falls from Rabbi's eye. He looks into the man's face. "'Go. Your son will live.' John's eyes go wide. He slowly turns his head to Peter. Peter's face mirrors his in shock. "'His son will live? His son isn't even here.' He didn't pray for him. He didn't lay hands on him. That's not how this is supposed to work. Peter can read John's thoughts, but has no more answer than the street on which they stood. They both turn back to the official. His face reveals that he is thinking the same as they are. Mistrust, confusion, anger, fear, pain all converge onto his features, but then he looks at Rabbi and it all disappears. He rises to his feet, thanks rabbi, turns around, and walks back the way he came, home to his ailing son.
0: As the crew went from town to town announcing the good news of the kingdom of heaven, there were a lot of important moments of growth. One such moment came in the middle of Jesus talking about how children understand these deep mysteries of the kingdom more than lots of adults. John, as if on cue, interrupted Jesus to tell him a story about another guy who apparently was driving out demons in Jesus' name. John triumphantly explained to the rabbi that he stopped this terrible man who was trying to steal their glory. Unfortunately for John, he completely missed it. He was thinking way too small about this whole thing. Do not stop them, Jesus replied, for whoever is not against you is for you.
1: The dust on the road from Cana coated the official from the waist down. The lonely journey was almost over. The trip had not gone as expected. The rumor of the rabbi who healed seemed to have been just that. Jesus had sent him home with no more assurance than any other man could have. In the distance, the dust stirred as two figures ran quickly in his direction, messengers on some important mission, he thinks. He steps to the side to let them pass, his mind elsewhere. He hears the beat of their progress begin to slow. He only imagines they must be fatigued and need a rest. He looks off into the countryside, trying to think of how he can explain what happened in Cana. If his son is by some miracle healed, how will anyone believe him when he tells them what the rabbi said to him? If the miracle does not happen, how will he face his family? How will he explain his failure? Suddenly he is aware of two people waiting for him to turn. He looks over his shoulder and is surprised to see two of his servants. He faces them, realizing their mission was for him. He braces himself for the worst news. Why else would they have been in such a hurry? My son, his voice trails off, is alive, the servants say together, joyfully. How? He exclaims. When? Yesterday, at the seventh hour. And then the weight he had been carrying from Cana disappears. Under his breath he thanks the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, for his providence. The seventh hour, the exact moment the rabbi had told him his son would live. Miracle of miracles. The worry he felt moments earlier melts with each step towards home. He can't wait to tell them the good news of the young rabbi from Nazareth.
0: Seven is an important number in John's gospel. As a Jew, John understood seven as the number of completion. Completion resolution tying a bow on something the closing of a chapter the turning of a page i love that this story of the rabbi giving someone his life back happened at the seventh hour when it was all said and done at the end of everything when all hope was lost jesus was just getting started something brand new and even better was crouching at the door waiting to break Forth, new life out of a terrible situation. You can feel it in this nameless official as he makes the journey home. A brand new appreciation for life, for his son, for this rabbi and the God he speaks of. The next morning, he surely woke up with a little more insight into how big this God is. The love, the compassion, the both. Andness of the creator. And at the same time, the disciples had their worldview challenged that day as well. In the seventh hour, God made it clear that the kingdom is here both for Jews and for Gentiles. When John writes his gospel, he makes his second sign, number two out of seven a story about new life breaking forth into the world in the seventh hour because this whole thing is one giant story about life so as we continue to build a cumulative case for the message of Jesus both and is the next essential signpost directing our steps either ors are fine they work for a time but Jesus Gives us gentle invitations along the way into something much more.
1: This was the second sign Jesus performed. John falls silent. Again, he's looking out over the city. The scribe's pen hovers over the parchment. Should he include that last line? About the second sign? It is only there second session together, but the scribe sometimes wonders if the apostle is dictating his story or simply chatting with him. The apostle turns and nods. The scribe smiles and writes. He begins to understand the apostle's cues. Despite this, the scribe can't help but feel there is a grander story the apostle is trying to tell. The first sign, water and wine, at a wedding. The second sign, healing a dying child, for a Roman official. Such small miracles. Not in their power. Indeed, changing one substance to another, healing from the brink of death. These were signs of someone with great power. No, small in their scope. They didn't happen in front of large crowds or people of influence. They seemed to be miracles only for the people present. For a bride and a groom. For a father. Where's John going with this? What do these signs point to? As he gathers his things and steps into the dust, he is ready to find out. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories in Scripture. You can learn more about our project at storiesinscripture.com, follow us on Twitter at SISproject, or follow us on Instagram at storiesinscripture.